But uh, what, what I love about the writing is how it all links in together, though. All the stories sort of come together into one and they have an effect on each other. You know, it's it's a masterclass in writing. This podcast is brought to you by patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke and nerdgeist.com. It contains graphic mentions of sex and violence and spoilers for The Shield, season six and season seven. I need an assistant to stand and fan me. Could you start getting some sponsors for this podcast so we can actually get assistance and stuff? Ryan, I'm trying. Hey, welcome back to the Driven Look podcast. And today we're wrapping up our three part exploration of the shield with my co-host guest, Ian Lawler from the USS Caroline. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having me back, Andy. It's been, you know, it's been explosive. We're, we're nearly at the end. And my goodness, do we have some stuff to talk about. So to set the scene again, um, the Shield, which premiered on FX in 2002, follows an experimental division of the Los Angeles Police Department set up in the fictional Farmington district, the farm of Los Angeles. It's rife with gang-related violence, drug trafficking, and prostituting. Operating out of a converted church, the barn, some Farmington police work to maintain the peace in the district and reduce crime. Others resemble the type of corrupt officer known only too well through recent police scandals. So we are reaching season six and we're going to explore season seven too. One big aspect of season six is Shane's guilt for killing Lem and that intensifies after the strike team learns that he didn't make a deal with the authorities. And Kavanaugh resorts to threatening informants and planting evidence to pin Lem's murder on Vic. You got a million to lie for you. Now you know the difference between a lie and the truth? You think I'm a cop killer? Maybe I am. You're a cop, right? That sounds like a direct threat of my life, detective. What that means? It means you just stepped onto an entirely new playing field. For your sake. I hope you know the rules of the game. And Dutch suspects it's all too convenient. So the fall of Kavanaugh, Ian. Believable? Uh, squeaky clean to Vic Stiley? You could, you could see throughout the season five that he was losing it. You know, he was becoming very unhinged. But for me... He falls very quickly at the start of season six. Basically, like they take a couple of episodes just to get it done. Yeah, it's two episodes. Uh, yeah, uh, it felt very quick. And at the end of the day, his conscience got the better of him. And he confesses to what he's done and ends up behind bars. I, th- I think it felt quite right. It was hella economical writing. Uh, I mean, if it was me doing it, I probably would have taken three or four. But I suppose... Mm-hmm. With an actor of Forrest Whitaker's calibre, you only have so much time. I think this was originally to be part of season five. It was supposed to go on longer. And actually season six was supposed to be the last one, but it got broken up into two parts. 
Yes, season six was quite a short season. But what I did love about Kavanaugh in season six is the last scene he has with Vic. He's behind bars. Vic almost came to gloat and says, you're going to prison. And Vic says, I'm going to sleep well at night. Kavanaugh sort of refers to that on him. He says, my conscience clean. What about yours? I might be in prison now, but it's only a matter of time, Vic, until someone catches you out. You know, it, it was it was a great it was a great bit of back and forth between the two, just to end that that part of the story. Because when when Whitaker's uh, delivering honesty in that role, it uh, it cuts through like a, a knife in um, melted butter. You know, uh, and he uh, a bit of a loaded phrase around around the shield uh, and Kavanaugh. He, uh, you know, I think he he knows thick now enough to, to suspect that yeah, thick isn't going to sleep well at night. You know, he clears his conscience. He'll take the the consequences of whatever happens to him. But he just warns Vic. He says, "I wasn't able to catch you. Somebody will." I I kind of buy it because I mean Kavanaugh is we've seen Kavanaugh very much as a performance artist, um, an improvisational job. You know, you don't know which way he's going to go next, and he's already seen Lem go down. Or he, he quite likes his wife. Um, his own authority all go down just in front of everybody in the barn and he's, he's already seen Vic triumph Corinne, although Kavanaugh pretty much brought that about himself Yes, um, I thought it was great when Corinne sort of marches into the police station and says look, you came into my house in false pretenses, you started touching me in front of the whole office he's trying to deny it but I think Dutch he knows Corinne enough to know she wouldn't lie, you know, about that. Uh, it's, it's kind of typical that Dutch would be the first to smell a rat. He's principled mostly, regardless of politics. He, he's got great spidey sense, hasn't he? He does, yeah. Or bullshit detector, maybe, is more the maybe the term we should use. He feels that everything is just so neat and so fitting together that he doesn't buy it. The Salvadorans had a contract out on your life that you never left town. Why not just hightail it out of here? I won't talk to anyone but John. Kavanaugh's not here, and you need to answer my question. Only reason I'm in this mess is because of you assholes. What's this? I'm exploring another angle. I'll catch you up later. Catch me up. Now. You know I'm rolling with a screen left. What if she was trying to gain favor with Guardo to save her life? Cut a deal with them. They kill the Mansky. She pins it on Vic. Maggie's out there right now, and you're wasting time talking to her? This interrogation is so... Uh, no, it's not. I'm not finished yet. When you every cop we have out looking for Vic, a private tutoring might buy you favor with your hot unis. But it doesn't get us any closer to scooping up Maggie. And you weren't spending your time exploring pot shot theories and doing your job like you were supposed to. We have Vic here right now. And that's a innocent witness. Come on, man. And meanwhile, Vic is off uh, blaming Guardo. Uh, a pretty uh, barbaric, sort of torturous scene in, in blaming Guardo, the drug dealer for, for Lem's death. And it's really interesting to see Walton Goggins playing Shane in this scene again. He's really... He's learned Guardo has a child on the way. He's, you know, he's just starting up a new life. He's, Shane is really moved. 
what's going on between Shane and Guardo is very much a reflection of um, the conflict between Shane and Len, I think. It's or yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Vic takes Gordo, strings him up basically in an underclosed location, tells him he, he wants him to admit that he killed Len, or at least give the order to kill Len. Of course he's going, you know, he didn't, so he's going, I can't tell you what I didn't do. Vic wraps a chain around him and starts whipping him until it's quite a brutal scene, until the blood is just pouring from him. And all while this is happening. The murderer stood in the same room. Yeah, you know, and uh, you can see it's getting to Shane, and Shane's trying to get him to stop. But, uh, no, Fick needs revenge. Shane thinks he convinces him to stop by telling him, look, you beat him so bad, if he knew something, he would have spilled by now. As Fick does, you know, he has these sort of times when his eyes sort of go mad, and he's, he's, but he looks very calm, and then he just shoots the guy in the head and says, right, he's got no more information. Which really shakes Shane because ultimately Shane, yeah, Shane is a lot of things, but he does tend to have a conscience, even if he never goes by that conscience. Yeah, yeah um, you know, does does pop up. That's interesting what you said about uh, what um, Chickles does with his eyes. It's kind of like a a sort of a. I'm reminded of Cullen's berserker rage. Yeah, warp spasms. Um, and you know that he's losing it, but there's a calm. There's a calm before the storm. Claudette makes radical changes to the strike team, which include adding Julian and replacing Vic with newcomer Kevin Hyatt. Unsurprisingly, Shane doesn't like Hyatt. Vic fights back against his enforced retirement. So unpacking the new strike team, where do we want to start? What about Julian? Um, that, 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 that surprised me a little bit. I can understand why Claudette done it, because Julian is a pretty straight shooter. So she wanted to reform the strike team, make it better. You know, she knows that Vic's got his hands on all sorts of illegal activity. She can't prove anything, but if Vic's going to be out the door in 30 days, she can reform that whole strike team. So she brings in a new leader, a guy that on paper looks brilliant, and tells Vic, this is your replacement. Get him up to speed. And Vic, surprisingly, plays ball because he knows that if he's going to find a way to keep his job, he can't rattle fellers at the minute. So Kevin Hyatt this is is a new leader. He's formerly of ICE Immigrations and Customs, who we talk quite a bit more about in Season 7. Yeah, I think trusts him. It's it's kind of telling that Shane doesn't trust him, perhaps even... Uh... Well, you know, Shane, Shane's worried because Shane knows all the all the stuff that him and Thick and that strike team have got up to. If you bring in a new guy... You have to be very careful of what you say. Yeah. Shane's not pleased with the situation and he doesn't like the idea of taking orders from someone else well, at this well, point. Nobody gets between Shane and his man. And, yeah. And and particularly now that they're looking around for a scapegoat. Yeah, I mean, Tavon fitted that bill last time and, and Hyatt's just going to get in a row. What would Hyatt look like leading a, a new strike team of Shane, Ronnie and Julian? How would that play out? On paper, I think he looked like a very promising guy to lead the strike team. But you, you learn quickly that he maybe doesn't know enough about the streets in Farmington to do the job. I think the guy's there to make a name for himself. He starts off really well, but he, he doesn't understand the area where he's in. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to play long term. It's very short victories 
where we see him, he breaks up a, a gang initiation of a, a couple of 14-year-olds that are getting a beating. But the problem is, to do that, he has to burn CIs and thick his region because he says, wait, you've burnt CIs just to stop an initiation. And all that's going to do is delay them getting into the gangs and they'll do it some other way. And things escalate to where the initiation becomes basically killing somebody up just a random on the street just to prove you're good enough for the gangs. So the new guy basically opens up a can of worms. The thick tries to warn him, this isn't worth it. You don't burn CIs just to stop a couple of 14-year-old kids getting initiated. The new guy sees it as, if if we stop the initiations, they won't get caught up in the gangs. And Thick tries to tell him that's wishful thinking. They will get caught up in the gangs. You've just delayed the inevitable. You know, um, I'm, that's just a really interesting degree of difference. I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, say that sort of thinking around CIs reminds me of Shane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you look at the series, in some ways, fixed power is the CIs. He always keeps CIs close to him. He always treats them well. Because that's where he gets his ends. Burning a CI for something, for just to try and save a couple of kids from getting into a gang, doesn't make any sense to him. And again, that seems pretty cold. Because they're 14-year-old they're kids and they're taking beatings to get into a gang. The gang gets them on the ground, gives them a kicking to prove they're tough enough. The, the new guy wants to stop that and says, look, if we stop them getting into the gangs, these gangs won't have as many members. And the truth is, as Vic knows, that was going to escalate the situation because now what will happen is those two kids that they save, they will go out of their way to prove that they can get into a gang. And what they basically do is they go to a street and they murder someone to prove that they're tough enough for the gang. So Vic says, what's better? A kid takes a beating or someone dies. The system isn't perfect. And that's when Claudette starts to realize that the new guy maybe isn't the man for the strike force because although she doesn't want him to be thick and macky, she wants him to use his head and think about the long-term success of dealing with these drug gangs. We were, we were talking before we come on there about um, Alex O'Loughlin, who plays Kevin Hyatt. I, I we like him well enough, but um, there was a bit of a blank slate there that maybe could have been a bit more done with him. Absolutely. It, it seemed as the season went on, they'd done less and less with him. And, you know, his exit was just pretty quick. It was pretty much the last episode of season six. It was, Claudette tells him, I don't think you're the man for the strike team. And he looks at her and he says, well, I'm going to land on my feet. People were fighting over getting me to work for them. And he walks out the door and that's it. The reason for his dismissal, which I think is, is pretty much on paper, it's Tina. Oh, and right. politics behind it, I think, is meant to be Vic. Yes, I mean, um, we should mention that the thing he does is he has a one-night stand with Tina. When Claudette finds out about this, she goes to him and says, you're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to announce if you're with someone that you work with. And he says, look, it's a one-time thing. Any other place I've been, that would be a wink and a nod. And Claudette says, not in the place I run. And that makes her sort of suspected, okay, he's not the man I thought he was. Just very quickly before we get off the new strike team, and we'll come on to the, the, the Tina Hyatt of things in a minute. Um, I really like Julian. I thought um, finally they find a bit of a, a role for him in the new strike, yeah. strike team. He's stepping up. He's doing that. Um... And, and he wants to prove himself to Thick in a way. I mean, there, there is an element of, okay, this is a guy who's going to rat us out. 
this could be the new Terry. But he is a very com- a character who's very comfortable with typical male performativity. So going around and kicking down doors is not something Julian necessarily likes, but he feels comfortable. And he's a workhorse, you know, the strike team, you know, they sort of laugh about it, but Julian's the workhorse. He'll do the grunt work for them, which, you know, the strike team, they don't like doing grunt work, (laughs) but they keep Julian at arm's length. They find ways to get rid of him so that he doesn't learn anything about the strike team's past. But I think it gives the actor something something to do this season. That's a bit different. Yeah, he is pretty proactive. Um, and in the meantime, I mean, uh, by the end of season six, we're meant to have seen Vic gone. So it's it's there's this Vic versus retirement thing where the sort of the motive lie is laid bare. The old Walter White BS. I'm doing it for my family. That's mm. that's just been done away with at this stage. What do you think it would take? To make Victor retire, money three and two, Claudette's captaincy. I, I, to be honest, I think maybe a bullet to the head, I, and I really mean that because Vic talks about the money and the money train being the last score, but Vic lives for the action. Everything he does proves it, uh, especially in the last two seasons. I don't know. Vic needs to be in amongst the action, taking taking the criminals off the street. Yes, he'll take money and he'll make deals, but at the end of the day, who he is is that guy on the street. The, the idea the of Vic time, going away and re- retiring, I just can't see it. It's one of the few times where I've seen Vic stop in his tracks is when an officer is killed, where there's... Uh, that's, that's, that's open to debate, given what we know about Vic from episode one. But when Carl and Scooby go missing... The, 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 I'm reminded of the scene where Dutch and Billings and Vic are having this big fight and and, and Dutch is, is taking uh, Billings out. He, he's coming for Vic next and Claudette just screams, you know, two of our guys have been killed enough. And you see this fixed look of understanding in, in those eyes. It, it completely gives sway to, to whims. She is right you have to... down the line. You have to remember that Vic, in his own head, you know, going back to the murder from day one of Terry, Vic really feels that he was justified, that Terry was kind of like a dirty cop for spying on other cops. He's always justified it. Yeah. But when them dies, Shane says something to Vic in as much as, you can blame me all you want, Vic, but we were all following you. All your plays led to this moment. Vic compartmentalizes quite a bit. There is an entire space in his brain where killing Terry was the right thing to do and entirely justified. I'm convinced there's other areas of his brain that that oh, is yeah. eating away at him quite right. Oh, absolutely. You, you know a lot of eats away at Vic. I mean, what I think with Vic is, I think he, going back to, you know, there's this thing of Vic's family versus the job. What does he care about more? And I think he loves his family, but I don't think he can... He can live without the job. Because if you think of the things he does in season six, he doesn't keep his family clear. He gets his family into trouble and then has to do something crazy to save them at the last minute because he loves his family. But does he love his family enough to keep them out of danger? Dutch tries to adjust to his new partnership with Billings and his crush on Tina Hanlon, while Danny and her 
clash frequently with Kevin Hyatt caught in the middle. Oh, the tangled webs. Yeah, you know, Dutch obviously does like her, but Dutch, you know, he doesn't really have the confidence really to maybe think he stands a chance. And Billings and Dutch, they can work well together, but they annoy the hell out of each other. Yeah, and Billings, and Billings decides to be cruel. You want to be pissed at me? Get even. Don't do it. Oh, come on. It's not my fault. The guy's got one foot in the psych ward. He's just fragile. And since psychological complexity isn't exactly your strong suit, back off. You got any crisp singles? I want to get a cup of soup out of one of your machines while they're still there. I walked it five different ways, looked under every bush, hit every trash can. Wait a minute. You got these two beautiful women looking in trash cans? It's part of the job, right? <laughs> Garbage pickups tomorrow afternoon. Okay. Hey, my man. Hey. You are my hero. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Hamlin? Oh, I'm sorry. I just assumed the way she talks about you. Never mind. Gotta make a habit of banging chicks who know where to find me in the morning. So the Dutch man has a shot then? Dutch? Sure. You get her fired, it's all stoked. Heat's got to go somewhere, right? <laughs> and he's been working that caring mentor angle like there's no tomorrow. Uh-huh. You're lost, my friend. Sucks about Sofa not letting you take a run at her killer. What do you mean? Oh, I shouldn't have said anything. We were going to bring you into interrogation, give you a chance to show your stuff. She wouldn't have it. Said you didn't have the skills. Really? I guess it's understandable. Understandable? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, she's making a play for Hyatt, and him thinking you're a screw-up just makes you less of a threat. Sort of petty, but a poor guy can't take his eyes off of you. So what else is she going to do? You think Kevin's into me? I know he's definitely not into her. Oh, I don't know. I've seen him cozy a couple times. I'm going to stay out of it. But he makes sure that Dutch is there to see it, to see them having a shag, if you like. He steals Tina's phone. He sends Dutch a text saying, come to dinner at my place or something to that effect at such and such a time. Of course, Dutch shows up just to see through the window that she's making out with Hyatt. And that makes things very uncomfortable. And Billings is just smiling from ear to ear. Billings is kindergarten Vic. He's like a little, little, little uh, four-year-old Vic in, in pajamas, throwing See, stuff about. Billings, everyone gets what they want, especially me. Billings is so strange because at times he's the worst cop on the planet. And then there's times in season six where he actually does something that helps Dutch solve a case. Yeah. So, you know, he can be a good cop, but he just doesn't want to be arsed. Yeah, uh, the, the billings, the minimum amount of effort required. He's trying to sue for disability payments because of that bump in the head he took when he broke up that second Kavanaugh and he hits his head sort of off, off the end of a desk or something. He's fine, but throughout season six, he keeps saying things to Dutch like, oh, I've been getting headaches. I've been getting this. I can't sleep, la, la, la. Uh, just putting little seeds in place so that he can claim disability. But of course, 
it doesn't end up that well for him. Before he knows that he's back to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, his actions probably spur on Tina's politicking through the department where she sort of pivots, didn't do a... Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. She gets a promotion, party. again, based on what she looks like. She becomes one of the poster people for the police. That probably saves Tina's job in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because um, she comes back, she's a bit more confident. She's starting to do a better job. She's out of line of... I mean, Claudette would have had her fired. Yeah, very much. Um, but she still has a lot to prove to Danny, it seems. Yeah, um, so I was wondering about sort of the, the relationship in all this between Billings and Danny. I mean, like, it's it's it seems that he's either... He's completely unaware of her or he's just not caring, maybe obnoxious. I don't, I don't think they have a relationship. The only time you see Billings talk to Danny is either on a case that they're investigating, go and do this, you know, go and do that, or to try and uh, stir up trouble with people. You know, you would see him maybe in Danny's ear or Tina's ear. That's not Billings' relationship with a lot of people, though. It is, it is. And I think what it comes down to, and I think he says this himself in season six, he feels that since he was captain, he gets absolutely no respect. And this is one of the reasons he doesn't try too hard. But as Dutch tries to tell him, respect Aaron, what have you done to Arnold? Yeah, yeah. Screw you, Billings. Um, For all that that connivance and manipulation, in spite of Billings, Dutch and Danny do get closer together. And there's kind of a a sense there that while there's not any kind of romance blooming, that a a friendship has been deepened. It has, yeah. They they, they do sort of... the, The whole thing with Tina... Dutch gets pretty upset about and Danny's kind of like a shoulder to cry on you do see them share a sort of kiss and a hug but you later find out that that, that probably turned into a one night stand if even, I don't know is it, well you know Dutch you know, Dutch kind of Danny comes to Dutch and says look I need to talk to you about something and of course Dutch starts saying uh, you know we were in a vulnerable place we were there for each other it happened you know it was a it, it, I understand it was just a one one time gig. Shipping them then. That's fine. But then that. Danny comes off with, well, actually, no, that's not what I want to tell you. There's a suspect up there I need you to speak to. You know, so it, it kind of gives you the impression there was more than just the kiss for maybe a night. But, you know, they kind of leave it open. But yeah, they certainly get closer. And then the, the other interesting thing is just to bring Thick into, into Danny's story. As you know, the her baby, her new baby is Fix. Now, she's made it clear that she doesn't want Thick to have anything really to do with the kid. But now, suddenly, she wants to put that in writing. That throws Thick off a wee bit. Because I, I think in Thick's head, he always thought that eventually he'd get to know his new kid. Yeah. But Danny knows enough about Thick that she wants to protect her kid. And say, look, sign this to waive your rights to being a parent, basically. Yeah, that certainly ramps up quite a bit in, in Season 7 and Vic's Fall. Tensions on the strike team lead Vendrell to admit to killing Lomansky. And yep. knowing that Mackie will likely kill him, he turns to the Armenian mob for protection, only to expose oh. their role in the money train heist, putting their families at risk. Vendrell writes up all their crimes and mails duplicates to use blackmail against Mackie. Oh, shame, Vendrell. Oh, thick. Oh, thick is pissed. Um, because... The, the problem with admitting Thick and his team 
were the ones who done the money train robbery. What he leaves out is that Shane was part of that team. Yeah. But what Shane doesn't realize is the Armenians don't just go after the people that done the crime. They go after the family, the women and children. So what Shane realizes he's done is, although he, he, he gets sick at this point in time, he does not want Fick's family to suffer for it or anybody's family. It's even worse than the whole Antoine Mitchell yeah, involvement. You know, he, gets, he gets it so deep. And then that's where he realizes that there's going to be a hit on Fick's family. He tries to call Fick a hundred times or whatever, but Fick sees Shane's name come up on the phone and doesn't pick up. So Shane gets Corinne, the oldest daughter, basically locks them in a, like a storage van. With them screaming, Shane, what are you doing? Leave us alone. Let's wait it back to this, because that's kind of episode 10. So let's wait okay. back to the start of the season. About, from episode one to about six, Vic and Ronnie are suspecting it's Shane. And, and, and those two sort of bond. Ronnie becomes Vic's wingman. Really does, he, yeah. He says to him at one point, when actually when Ronnie learns about the murder of Terry, he says, I have done a better job. Uh, covering it up than, than him. I could have protected you more. Yeah. So Ronnie seemed to have grown in investment to Vic. Perhaps that's been solidified by what happened with with Lem. From backstory, we know Shane brought Ronnie and Lem on board initially. But now for Ronnie, the scales have very much fallen from his eyes about about the sort of person that Shane, Shane is. Yeah, you know, he's disgusted with Shane. He he really is, and he doesn't want anything to do with Shane. But as ha- has happened before, you know, usually when the strike team has fallen out with Shane, unfortunately they need each other. Vic needs Shane's connections to the Armenian mob. So they, they kind of have a, like a, a very uneasy truce. Ronnie is not impressed with Shane at all. And if anything, that moves him closer to Vic. What do you make th- of, uh, of uh, David Reese? Is it David Reese Snell stepping yes. out of the limelight proper in this season? Yeah, he really does. I mean, he earns his stripes. He's the most loyal person that there's ever been this, th- this season. Because think of what he finds out. He finds out if they killed Terry. Somehow he's okay with it. I always knew. I mean, obviously, Ronnie was part of the strike team, but he always, like Lem, he seemed a bit more straight-laced than maybe thinking. Shane. Yeah, well, it was kind of hard to tell. He was so quiet. He was so quiet, so it was really hard to tell. But when he hears about Terry and he's okay with it, you know, you start to think, I don't have any more sympathy for you because, you know, you're now you're just following thick. I was reading uh, TV Critic, right. Alan Seppenwall's reviews, mm-hmm. and uh, quite a few commenters there, um, Seppenwall himself, um, referenced that, that Ronnie is actually much colder than they expected. Yes, uh, very much finally so. emerged. He's um, quite he's, a dangerous man. He is, and he's, he's, he's cold, he's calcul- calculating. As you say, he's that silent type, so it's very hard to get a read on him. But the things he does for Fick in this season, he kills for Fick. He's got the mind, in, in that killing of the Armenian mobster, he's got the mind of, um, he's an independent thinker. You know, he, he can is. do stuff. In fact, in fact, in some ways, he saves Vic from himself because he tells Vic that he has to be smart about this. Vic can't kill the mobster. He has to leave. He has to get back to the farm so that the farm can see where he is. 
and then Ronnie pulls the trigger. The thing that Ronnie doesn't realize is that Shane's actually there, lurking, watching the whole thing. <laughs> the little weasel. Yep. I want to come on to to talk about uh, the confrontation. Vic versus Shane and the truth about Lem. That episode was actually directed by um, Frank Darabont of mm-hmm. The Shawshank Redemption right. and The Walking Dead. So it's just a, a wonderful scene where Vic realizes a monster that he has created in Shane and, and maybe that realizes that he is that monster himself. There's like an addict glimmer of clarity. It was an impossible situation. At the time, it was either him or the rest ah, of us. Bullshit. Look, I was protecting you and Ronnie from it. Look, if he would have gone to jail like he wanted, he would have been killed by Antoine or turned by Kavanaugh. Man, you know that. I don't know that. He was strong. You killed him because you were scared. He was strong and you were a coward. I was being strong for all of us. And I am not a coward. Yeah, you were. You were when you sat by and watched me tear Guado apart for something you, you did. Jesus Christ, what did you turn into? Oh, he was into? an asshole murderer. I'm not an executioner. Well, go tell that to Terry's family. Now, that's different. That son of a bitch, he was a traitor. Lem was my friend. He was mine, too. Look, you think you're looking at me through some window. You know, all you're really doing is looking in a mirror. You and I were nothing alike. I would never. Oh, you did. More than once. So let's at least tell the truth now. Lem's gone. I would have spared Lem. And I stepped up and put Lem down so you could go to bed at night believing that. Again, it's, you know, the actor and how he acts with his his eyes, his face. You could tell he's disgusted, he's hurt, he's pissed all at the same time. And you can see him looking at Shane. And those are the moments I like, because in those moments, you don't know what Fick's going to do. I thought was Fick going to lose it, pull a gun on him. He doesn't. Yeah, berserker rage. He, he doesn't go that way, but he probably could have. And, and this is where I think Shane makes it worse. Are you so goddamn psychic? Why didn't you know that Acevedo was lying about Lim, huh? I mean, all I was doing was following your game plan, coach. You know, Shane's very good at justifying his actions to himself. And that really gets the thick, I think. It's very rarely he's so candid when he is shooting his mouth off. And Vic really needed to know that sort of stuff then and a lot earlier. Vic might be a tough man, but he, he doesn't take killing lightly, per se. Mm. He says, I strung up a man, I beat him near death, and then I killed him while the real killer was standing next to me. And you that me. Well, both Vic and Shane are um, very fond of self-righteousness and, and taking the higher ground. Mm. Uh, it is a big pissing match between the, the oh, pair of them more and more. It is. And the, the problem is they pull everybody in with them, yeah, including both their families. Because don't forget, Shane has a family too. Yeah, so it's Shane and Mara. They're beginning to go off the rails a bit. There's the witness statement. There's every dirty deed that Shane writes down. And I imagine unpacking all that the last five seasons must have been something like a a palate cleanser. There's a political and literal security there. But I wonder a sort of relish, like a sense of personal or self-security leads him to go back to the Armenians. 
ego, pride. I think one of the important things, if we just go back slightly, is that before he comes clean with Thick, he comes clean with Mara. Because Mara and him are having so many problems. Mara's done with him, tells him to get out. And then Shane looks like he's about to have a breakdown. And he tells Mara, you don't understand what I've done. I killed them. Please don't ask me to leave. And in the end, she forgives him and hugs him. So Shane coming clean to Mara, I think, really helps Shane get it together a bit. Yeah, and I think this opens up uh, Michelle Hicks, who plays who plays Mara Sewell. Not a particularly likable character. No. Um, and also we, we can see plenty where I think she's quite a lazily written character, a fairly single, one-dimensional, easy target. And mm. this is the beginning of her stepping into her own. And in season seven, uh, honestly, we'll, we'll come to talk. Michelle Hicks is phenomenal, I think. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, the end of season Goggins six, such chemistry. season seven, she's brilliant. And and that's the thing. It's not just Thick versus Shane anymore. It's the two families. Yeah. Because while Thick and Shane are having this rivalry, Corinne and Mara are speaking to each other. Mara knows more, obviously, than Corinne does. And then Mara spills some of the beans to Corinne. That's the beginning of, uh, if you like, the downfall. Yeah, but... He never speaks to Mara, as far as I recall, about uh, uh, this character, Dino Kasekian, uh, played by Franca Patente, who um, is the daughter of one of the Armenian mobsters that Shane is in bed with this season. And it's, it is very much, again, it's like Shane trying to run his own operation. It, it, uh, again, it's Shane trying to prove that he's better and he can, he's smarter than Vic. He can do Vic better than Vic can. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> and the thing is, sometimes Shane does come across quite smart when these things are beginning, but Shane always takes it too far. And when Shane gets desperate, he makes mistakes. And it was desperation in Shane's part that he tells the daughter about the money train to stay in good, good with her. And of course, that totally backfires. Yeah. Ain't no business, Gary. No. I very much believe the whole... Uh writing out this every dirty deed dossier a, a sensible way to protect yourself you know if you're going down and you've got that much on somebody else who was part of it that's a way to take them down with you and i mean anytime i've been involved in like a like a, there's a police thing or or not even not even a police thing there's an act of violence i will write down everything that happened i will make a little witness statement for myself for a little little notebook and it's, it's, a, it's also a nice bit of foreshadowing for what we get in season seven with Pazuela's blackmail box, which is it's a kind of a MacGuffin device. It's a bit of a Pandora's box as well, because it's a device that they need to find, the writers need to find a way for Fick to keep his job. So this box comes into play a bit. And just to say what this box is, it's basically a box that's being complied with evidence about high-ranking people in government, police officers, officials. I think it's season at the end of season six, isn't it? Where Fick tries to blackmail Asafeda to straying the, the committee to get him to keep his job. He gets a pick of uh, what happened to Asafeda. He was basically made to uh, suck those uh, gang's dicks or die. And he tries to blackmail Asafeda to help him with that. The, pr the problem is, what Thick doesn't realize is, Asafira clearly says, I do not have enough pull to sway that. 
it sort of backfires on Vic to a degree. Vic has really stressed out his own news. Yeah, a, a seven-year odyssey and everything just comes tumbling down. Through different paths, Vic, Mackie and Shane Wendrell spark a war between the Armenians and Salvadorans. Vic cozies up to an ICE agent, Olivia Murray, in hope of getting immunity from the strike team's crimes. So, so it's like a very simple description, but so much, so much. Olivia Murray played by Laurie Holden, an actress I thought was done a great disservice in Walking Dead. I haven't seen much she's in, but I really like her. Yeah, I, I can't remember what she's been in other than The Walking Dead. There was a, a possible Stephen King adaptation, possibly by Frank Darabont. It featured a lot of Walking Dead season one actors and actresses. Oh, right. and I think she was not the Miss. Oh, right. Okay. Right. I, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I, I know her from The Walking Dead. I think she was in season one, two, and three. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think not a great, not a great character. I'm not, I, I don't think it's anything to do with her acting at all. It just wasn't a great character. No, kind of wasted, really. Um, this role, though, shows off her ability to play strong, centered characters, uh, and that's kind of one of the place where she excels. Very organized, sort of protection, well-meaning initially, level-headed, comes in helping Claudette as sort of a counterpoint to Vic. I mean, as go on we find out her name is in this blackmail box. Vic uses her resources or so he thinks to try and get information on certain mobsters but she keeps coming back and saying there's no information in the system and then they find out she's in the black box so that kind of changes things a bit. It begins with a turf war where we have well actually it begins with Vic and Ronnie taking reprisals on Shane by kidnapping Mara it's all in the game, I suppose. Yeah. At some point, doesn't Vic break into Shane and Mara's home? He ties Mara up and then starts beating on Shane. I can't remember what it is that gets him to stop. I mean, Mara is to some extent blinded by her own ability to read and remedy Shane's faults. Although you talked about before, there's, there's much more disclosure going on there. Whereas Corinne and Summer are kind of sort of clueless. Summer, uh, thick daughter, is not in a good place because no. she starts hearing all these rumors in the police station about what Vic has done, and she can't believe that's her valor. And she's wanting answers, but Vic's not giving any. And you know, Corinne at this point is trying, is almost trying to defend Vic to Summer. Yeah. But Corinne, meanwhile, knows that Vic has got them in a lot of trouble. I quite liked Summer at this point. I thought uh, the character's a, a typical teenager, which is essentially no fixed personality, bouncing about like a pinball. One week she's a good little girl, the next she's barking, the next she's de dealing drugs, mm -hmm. uh, the next she's a good girl again. Yeah. And, um, that, uh, was my, that was my teenage years. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom. You know, there was this scene where Dick and Corinne are confronting her about the drugs and, you know, she was supposed to be looking after her little brother. And Vic actually grabs her pretty hard, scars the life out of her. Now, Vic realizes straight away what he's done and tries to apologize to her, but Corinne says, look, get out before you make this worse. 
Vic's family dynamic is starting to fall apart oh. pretty quickly. Vic can deal with trouble on the streets or can deal with trouble that's coming at him. But when, when he's having family trouble, that's not where he shines, you know? Yeah. And um, as, as much as uh, Shane accelerates the trouble on the street with his, his mouth, mm-hmm. uh, Mara does the same thing in the domestic situation. She does. Um, she she tells Corinne some stuff. Even before it's it's full-blown war between the two families, I think she gives Corinne a few sharp shocks and wake-up calls. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think, in fairness, she needed. Because yeah. I think what Mara's point was that their men are fighting but it might be the women that have to stop with. And she's probably got a point. Alongside this, on the streets, there's, when we meet Olivia Murray, there's a turf war, there's bodies bloody in the streets that have been dragged down the centre of the road by cars. And I'm just going to read up my note here. A good way to keep the action, not stalling, when you consider this is the very personified way which Vic and Shane deal with their problems. It's very symbolic. We have Vic and Ronnie beginning to circle Shane. They'll, they'll botch it. Vic and Olivia's partnership seems to some respects to resemble or resonate like Vic and Rowling. Yeah. Um, he's keeping his nose clean. He's doing his best. He's compartmentalizing this little war with Shane, which is kind of aided by his trust in, in Ronnie, who has taken over leading the strike team at this point. Uh, Vic is looking for a fresh start. With, with season seven and imagine a season eight. Meanwhile, Ronnie has, he's stepping back. He's doing police work. Got, as we said, with Julian out of the loop and he's, he's sent on, on research and things. Yeah. Is Ronnie leading the strike team a good example to, to Vic? A, a better way of doing things? I think probably so. Um, yeah. You have to feel Vic isn't necessarily calling the shots of the strike team. He has clout. He has a lot of clout, but... He does. I mean... Ronnie's in charge. Ronnie's in charge, but Ronnie will always defer to Vic. If Vic wants something done, Ronnie's going to get the strike team to do it. I don't think, you know, at this point, Vic needs to be in charge of the strike team to have influence. You know, if Ronnie's there, then Ronnie's his man. So I, I don't think that makes a difference. And I think that Vic, in some ways, has bigger problems to deal with than the strike team at the minute so in some ways Ronnie being in charge of the strike team maybe gives Vic a bit of freedom to go out and do what he feels he has to do to get everyone out of this situation and to have that new beginning that you talked about the the next point is kind of a miscellaneous so uh, Danny ducks out on Vic's interest as a father of her child Claudette is on a lot of drugs for lupus and her home is a mess Steve Billings, after his litigation suit, is tossed out. We, we mentioned earlier, um, uh, Billings involved in more serious stories here. There's there's a sex offender story. Um, there is. A sex offender in the neighborhood. Billings is happy to listen to his ex and his daughters and plant a little bit of evidence to get this guy taken out of his neighborhood. And there's that sort of creeping corruption, that temptation to abuse a badge of shield again. Mm-hmm. Billings will, when he's considering this plan, he's trying to position Dutch as his Shane. You feel good about yourself? Actually, I do. I'm going to sleep a hell of a lot better than I know my daughters are safe. Committed a crime. What crime is that? 
Did Heap really have that child porn? Or did they plan it along with their bogus warrant? We were there. I didn't ask. And Detective Keith did me the courtesy of not telling. He's been clean for six years, Steve. No, he wasn't clean. He just hadn't been caught. And for all we know, he was going to stay clean. He found kitty porn in the guy's bedroom, for Christ's sake. Oh, come on. He spot checked twice a month. Today, he just happened to leave kitty porn on his dresser? Please. Cop helped another cop out. It's called loyalty. It's wrong. And we've also got the um, the ongoing saga of the vending machines and the health lawsuits. Yeah, they, the vending machines have been used for a bit of comedy and a way for Dutch to sort of control billings to a degree when he starts to get really lazy or, do, or you know, threaten to do stupid things. He holds it over Billings' head. If Billings was smart, he'd get rid of the vending machine straight away. But Billings isn't that smart. He'd rather make a few quid. Uh, Steve, come on in. Sit down. First, I want to apologize for that outburst earlier. It was unprofessional. Yeah, and very mean-spirited. And second, I want to thank you for solving that murder for us. It will really help with our quarterly stance. You were on the top of your game. Yeah, I get these little bursts of energy, you know, in between needing to lie down and so forth. Well, don't be modest, Steve. You work for Hector's Siding Company, Vice President Headaches, disorientation, lethargy, memory loss, inability to logic. What's your point? Your scam's over. We've got proof you've been faking your head injury. This doesn't prove shit. No, with the tape and our testimony from your performance today, the lawsuit is dead. Maybe you throw in your history of defrauding the city with your little, uh, Vending machine enterprise? All right, look. Last thing I ever wanted to do was hurt the department. I will call my attorney and have her take the settlement offer. You'll take nothing. You'll be glad I didn't fire you. Pull your pension. I spoke to Phillips. You'll be back to work tomorrow morning. If you want to quit, it's up to you. I'll have to consult my legal team. Just as long as you're here tomorrow morning, first thing, you can consult till your hair grows back. Spelling shenanigans. I, I kind of sense that as as players move about this season, the Dutch is actually moving closer towards being offered the captaincy again. He could be. The great thing about uh, Claudette being the captain is she trusts Dutch more than anybody probably in the in the place, which really helps Dutch in a, a lot of ways. Yeah. He does a good job of, of manipulating Danny to get some help for Claudette. Yeah, that, um, you know, he knows that uh, Claudette is struggling, but of course he knows that Claudette's not going to go out and ask for help. He knows that uh, Danny has had a bad experience out in the field yeah. after coming back with her baby. She, she nearly got strangled to death. Uh, so he plants the seeds in her mind that a, a sort of more administrative job helping Claudette could be the way to go. It's and Some smart thinking to two big problems. Yeah, absolutely. Right there. Absolutely, you know, and let's face it, Claudette needs the help and Danny knows the system. So I, I think it worked out. And from what I remember, she takes that job, doesn't she? Yeah. As Claudette's sort of right hand, sort of, because Claudette as season seven starts and goes on. She starts to look very shaky again. She says she's trying new medication and it's just having a bit of a side effect. So Dutch is worried about her and... It's interesting to watch the trajectories. I mean, we know Vic's on his way out. We, we learn Wims is on her way out, but they're mm. exiting in very different ways. And uh, the relationships with, with control and how they are perceived and what they want to do, more to the point, in, in leaving. 
is, is quite different. So Danny um, has been on the back burner, I feel, for a few seasons. And we get, we get, she's popping her head up above water here. She's got no Julian to support. She's been trying to get Vic out of her life, but uh, Summer shows up at her door. Corinne shows up at her door. It's, it's proving tough. It's proving tough. <laughs> Summer wants to know about her dad. And she figures who better than to know than the girl that he's had a kid with. Unfortunately, of course, Danny doesn't want any part of that conversation. Summer asks him outright, did he kill Terry? I mean, Danny doesn't know he did. So Danny goes, of course not. Your dad's not a murderer. <laughs> you know, but that's all she's willing to say. She's not really willing to get into the conversation. And she calls Corinne straight away to come and get Summer. Um, just in the, the mid-season where, where stuff is really beginning to blow up about about the strike team, we, we have uh, Danny moves home, sort of after Vic is showing up. And um, what, what Corinne says to him is, you're fighting for Lee just to fight. Mm-hmm. He hasn't actually thought about the responsibilities. And we've had with Corinne shows up and has warned Danny about the, the autism. Perhaps in subtext, we can read it is a warning about Vic. Danny is going through, she's mirroring what um, Corinne went through in season two mm. when uh, Vic was always trying to encroach upon her life and she was trying to get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's a nicer resonance, I feel. Corinne at this point, I think, is realizing that, that even if he means well, she has to start distancing herself because. For as much as he claims to love his family, he certainly puts his family in harm's way enough. You would think if, if it got to the point where the job puts his family in danger, he'd step away. But, you know, that's not thick. Thick lives to be on the streets and taking down the, the criminals. I think that's really, in a lot of ways, what he loves. Well, he's that guy that has to have the last word. Yeah. And I think the last action as well, re- reasonably. Yeah. To come back to your your answer to um, what would it take for Vic to retire, I don't know. I think he'd just keep going like a like an enraged Rottweiler or pit bull. That yeah, you know. Because when you think about it, you know, it's that whole chestnut off. You can take down drug lords and the frats, but there'll always be someone pop up to take their places. So in some ways, Vic Vic's job will never be complete because there's always the next drug lord, there's always the next frat. You take one down, someone else is going to take their place, fill the void. Vic is never going to quit. Well, let, let's talk drug lords. David Acevedo is blackmailed by Cruz Pizuela, a crooked Mexican real estate developer and diplomat. Pizuela has his hands on a blackmail box, which he uses to reignite rivalries between Vic and Acevedo. Instead, they join forces and Vic fakes Pezuela's death so he can go undercover as an enforcer for Pezuela's cartel connection, Guelmo Beltran. I'm working undercover for ICE. The box is back in play. We need Olivia's file in order to sell it to Pezuela. When the hell did this happen? You said something this morning about wanting to see justice done. Time to jump on board the karma train. I have to handle Pezuela very carefully. He can hurt me. And you, you say you want to bring him down? You were just working for the man. She had no choice. Look, I'm sorry, but Vic doesn't make a very compelling character witness. Holding on to your file gives me a card to play in case you're ever tempted to switch sides again. Here's what happens if you don't give up the file. Pizuela doesn't take the bait. I see he doesn't understand why, so they put his balls through the ringer just on general principle, and he gives up Olivia anyway. 
Then I roll on you for blackmailing me. And I back her story. This is Vic's arc in trying to make his way into ice and Asafira, the ambitious, morally flexible slickster. It's clear that the aftermath of the rape took him to a dark side that he never really looked back from. There's maybe been an opportunity for redemption in his alliance with Kavanaugh. I think, but he failed with that. He screwed that up. He contributed to Lem's death by putting out this this fake information. I mean, we, we can't we can't burden Aceveda with that, but contributing factors mm. and all that. And now the, the blackmail box is in play at one point. He's threatening to pull out of this investigation because he could politically he could get tarred by this. He could, um, yeah, so he's either He's kind of playing a, a game uh, at the ice table with Vic. So who can hang about in this this contrived story as a as an undercover? Asabeta pulls out. He gets mud all over him. But if he hangs in, he has great political clout, and he threatens the investigation mm. to make his run to be mayor. Reality. Reality. Yeah. Absolutely. At, at this point, is Vic made a deal with Ice yet? It's very much in the in the talk stage. As as we go on, Vic and Ronnie, although Ronnie comes into it much later, kind of insist on that's that's the price. They bring they bring down Beltran and his cartel and they get their ice immunity and new job. Because I, I think it's worth noting that obviously because at some point doesn't Crane get arrested? So it causes Vic to make a deal with Ice, and basically Vic has to come clean about everything. But they need him to take down this this one last drug lord. Yeah, uh, it's very much um, it's kind of classic Shield, I think, for the first half of season seven. It's uh, it's the blackmail box is an entertaining MacGuffin. Vic is spinning all the plates that he can. Yeah, um, he has trying to Beltran. make as many deals. Yeah, yeah, he has Beltran's ear. He's whispering. Um, there's a really nice tense scene. Vic is setting up a buy-in for Beltran. Mm, that's right. And he steals a hundred k from one of the drug lords at the buy, like a couple of hours before the buy-in, which will cause them to explode. Yeah, and it's another sort of another Mackey paints himself into an impossible corner and somehow gets out of it. He gets out of it, and the whole idea was they bring down this drug lord, but the only way to do it is if they're caught red-handed with the drugs. Olivia, at this point, is through with Vic. She's disgusted. She feels he hasn't delivered, but Vic is convinced he can get he can get this guy, so he calls Asafeta to go over her head and get, and get a sting set up. It goes down. They get the drugs. Vic's thinking, I've done it. It's, it's all good. And, and technically it is. He's held up his end of the bargain. Unfortunately, he will have a bit of a shock still to come. But we have to talk about Ronnie, because Ronnie's under the impression that this deal is for Fick and Ronnie. Yeah. The Ronnie stuff, it really only becomes in the latter half of, of season seven where Ronnie becomes involved in the job. Mm. I think it's a bit of a naivete on his part. Absolutely. Um, but I think... Again, I was watching it and I was getting a bit confused because I think Thick the way he was talking was he told Ronnie that him and Thick are clear 
you know, if they do this, they get a clean slate. The problem is to keep Corinne out of jail, I think he has to sacrifice Ronnie, if I yeah. remember rightly. So, yeah. So you're jumping ahead quite a bit because you're very right. excited. You've just watched the last season today, I have, but I'm trying to figure out, you know, where does this fit in? Because obviously when he makes, when Thick makes the deal for himself, you know, when does Ronnie think he gets that deal? Quite soon after. And I'm, I can't remember how Ronnie plays into this or why he has to give up Ronnie. We had our chance. Hey, man, it's just like any other case. Sometimes you just gotta wait until something hits. I can't sit in the barn and wait if something goes down and I don't hear about it. All they gotta do is march across the bullpen and slap the cuffs on me. And how's your running gonna make me look? You should run too, man. Hey, hey. This isn't something I haven't thought of myself, okay? And let's go. No, let's go. No, Shane does not get to win. He dropped the grenade that killed our team, but he doesn't get to kill your career, my life with my children. The side gig I got going with Ice, it's going really well. I'm trying to insulate us from all this shit, set us up with jobs and fed badges. Why would they want to bail us out, Vic? Me helping out Olivia? It's got her in my corner. And she's whispering in all the right ears. All I gotta do is nail this shithead Mexico. But Pizuela? Not Pizuela. His boss. He's a cartel guy. And when that mousetrap springs, I'll tell Ice that it's time for them to cut us a deal. And you think they'll go for that? All I need is two, three more days. We keep looking for Shane, or he stays hidden that long. I turn it up a notch with Olivia, and then I toss your name in when she starts talking terms. Give me one last shot at getting us through this shit. If I fail, we'll both run. So this is um, the trade-off with Corinne. Corinne is, he thinks Corinne is going to get arrested for this money that we were talking about that he ripped mm. off the buy-in. Mm -hmm. This was going to Corinne to give to Mara, but dropped off by Ronnie. Then Corinne was lifted by Claudette, mm -hmm. but obviously Corinne was working the inside level. Uh, but Vic doesn't know that Vic thinks yeah. Corinne has been arrested. Because he thinks he has to save her. Yeah, he gave her that money, which is, is handed over initially. Yes, that's the, the web of it all. Let's take a Dutch angle, shall mm -hmm. we? Mm -hmm. uh, I know you like your Dutch angles, and, and you've been busting to talk about this one. Dutch focuses on Lloyd, a kid he's certain will become a serial killer. The two of them duel it out psychologically, and eventually Lloyd's mother goes missing, and the boy tries to frame Dutch for the murder. So you, you were thinking this might have, could have been the Dutch goes over the line and, and yeah, becomes you know, a, a, a bit of a Dexter. Case. Well, in, my, in, in my head, I was thinking, wouldn't it be a, a great turn of events if Dutch turned to be a serial killer? I didn't think it would happen, but it sort of crossed my mind when he's talking to the captain and he's saying, I didn't do this. I couldn't do this. And she's saying, I know you didn't. I know you better than you know yourself. And when she said that, I was like, I wonder, is there any chance he done this? But no, no, it, it looks like he was getting played. 
because Dutch has typically sort of seen serial killers everywhere. This is one of those sort of moments of reckoning with him, himself. He's got this stubbornness. He's, he's poking his nose in with this this Lloyd character. Lloyd, um, you know, Lloyd, uh, how they meet Lloyd is Lloyd shoots an intruder in his house, but Dutch feels that that story doesn't hold up and that Lloyd knew that the guy was coming to the house and was waiting ready with a shotgun. And as Dutch said, he's planned the perfect murder at 16. The, the problem is Dutch gets too involved and goes to the Muller and tries to befriend her so that he can keep an eye on that kid that he thinks is going to become a serial killer. Unfortunately, this 16-year-old kid's pretty smart and sees through what Dutch is doing, comes into the police station saying his mother is missing, and then they find out that his mother's burnt clothes are in Dutch's bin. Do you know the name of the, the actor who plays Lloyd? I know he's been in... I, I don't. Um, um, the don't. mother is played by an actress named Frances Fisher, who has quite a bit of form. She's the concerned mother. You know, she's raising him on, on her own. Uh, she's trying her best, but he doesn't do homework. He's basically a, a C-grade student who's just sort of, you know, not doing terribly, but not doing brilliantly either. And she's pretty concerned with him. So when Dutch befriends her and, and sort of says, look, maybe he needs a man figure in his life. Dutch, I think, is trying to sort of say to him, look, let me help you with, with the kid. But all along, he's doing it because he really feels that this kid's going to murder again. Actor's name is Kyle Gallner, and he's got yeah a wonderful sort of dead-eyed kind of stare to him in this he role. Does. He's uh yeah he's Bart Allen in Smallville. Oh um, right, okay. Yeah. Castle Farrell in Outsiders, and Cassidy Beaver Casablancas in Veronica Mars. Right, okay. So that's where you've seen him before. Yeah, um, he's been in quite a bit then. Um, but yet he's got this tremendous presence for such a, a young guy. You know, he's playing this 16-year-old. I don't know what age he really is. In the interrogation room, he's just got this look on his face that Dutch can't break. He's so calm, collected with his thoughts. Dutch suspects him, but Dutch is struggling to break him which leads Dutch to befriend the mum and get himself in loads of trouble. And of course, who is it saves Dutch's ass? There's only one person could see yep. him. Yep, Claudette. And I thought that rounds their relationship as partners off quite nicely. Short of a confession, I'm not going to make this case. And I can't sweat one out of him without alerting the mother he's a suspect. In which case, she circles the wagons around her sweet teen killing machine. It sounds like you've done everything you can. What if everything I've learned in my career, everything I've been through, is meant to bring me to this exact place in time? This kid, this case. And what happened to the higher power who put you here? Why wasn't he there to stop Lloyd from pulling the trigger? I mean, who's the better detective? Someone who arrests the bad guy after he's killed 30 people, or the one who prevents 30 murders from happening in the future? None of us could see the future. And give it a shove in the right direction. I felt that the, this storyline on paper possibly looked quite repetitive, but I think the performances we... really elevated. Yeah, all it, was, it, it um, felt a very, you know, it felt like another one of these cases where Dutch is mad as match. He can't break the person. Yeah. It's driving him crazy. But Claudette has to take him off the case and sort of say, look, you need to protect yourself here. You're a suspect now in a murder. 
the, the most recent example of this is Cleveland Gardner. And this, so this harks back to, I mean, Cleveland came down because of Claudette and what Dutch taught. So this sort of bringing down Lloyd, it's kind of, um, it's a nice rounding about all, you know, they've taught each other all these things in this partnership. They've always got each other's back. And this is kind of like a, almost a victory lap. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that it kind of ends almost at the halfway point of where a shield story would end. They know they've got him on something. They've rattled him, but it's not, it's left to us to imagine what comes next. What comes next. Yeah. So that leaves it like she goes in sort of a terror, gets him a wee bit, comes out and says, he'll break. It's just a matter of time. And that, and, and, and that's really all we get. So let's, let's, get to the, the big massive double beats because the second half of season seven is just phenomenal. Vendrell attempts to kill Mackie, but it goes awry, making him and his family fugitives of the law. Vic and Ronnie Gardaki try to pin Shane Vendrell for the murder of Lem. With no hold over Mackie, Shane Vendrell kills himself and his family. There was this uh, beautiful scene again for Mara, where uh, she's got an arm wound and they go back to the house and she sits down with Shane and she says, what's going to happen to our son? He's going to go to the foster system. What are we going to do? Shane at this point thinks he's still got a card to play with Vic in that I think Shane is going to go and spill all if his family's protected. What Shane unfortunately doesn't know is Vic has already pleaded all with Ice and made a deal. Yeah. So there's nothing that Shane can say that Vic hasn't told Ice. So you know, it all it all kind of comes out because um, episode eight, Parasite, Shane's hired this this gangster to, to kill uh, Ronnie, I think, and he in interrogation he has fingered Shane, and Shane really doesn't care what number uh, he selects in the softball game. This season, he's yeah. out of that building as fast as he can. I think it, I think it's interesting. Mara's Mara goes and sees Corinne. She's quite straight about what she wants Corinne to do, about what she wants Corinne to know. Mara is a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. She will uh, somebody who's used to looking at scripts and selling is kind of vital in making Corinne's world tumbles at that point. It does. I mean, yeah. The whole the whole fugitive thing of it, it reminds me very much of a, of a book that I studied at school, a novel by mm. Bernard McLaverty called Lamb. Lamb right. was published in 1980. And it was made into a, quite a good film, but with uh, Liam Neeson and Hugh O'Connor. So basically you have this this priest, this this boy's borstal, and it's it's a really vicious lifestyle. And this young kid, Owen, uh, he suffers from behavioural problems. He has severe epilepsy. And this is something that, you know, if he takes a seizure or whatever, he's punished for it. And he's constantly miserable. And the, the priest and the young boy, they, they build quite a, a bond of friendship between them. Neeson's priest decides he's going to take this kid on the run and, and give him a, a happier life just to get him out of the barbarity of this Christian Brothers school. Right. 
they have a bit of money and they have some good times, but then it goes downhill. There's gambling, epilepsy gets worse. There's pot, they end up in squats. They become afraid of molestation from all these other characters. And the priest just can't look after him. And eventually on hearing Owen is happiest in this seizure state, the priest drowns Owen amid a seizure state. They're both wearing t-shirts that they've had printed of the two of them hanging out together. The Shane, the Shane arc is a real tragedy. It's a real heartbreaker. I mean, it's, it's Shane is still Shane. He's taken too many risks. He's running around. He's, he's just cashing dodgy checks. He's gambling. He's, he's doing coke. He's basically, yeah, he's, he's not in his right mind, but he's got no other card left to play. What haunts him is what Mara said. Our son is going to grow up in the foster system with no one if we don't get out of this. There's a whole honeymoon sort of level to the arc. I mean, there's there's some really beautiful scenes where Michelle Hicks mm. is looking after the youngster. Walton Goggins is playing piano. They're making love. They're hanging out in the swimming pool. Mm. And it's this sort of insight into what they could have been had Vic yeah, it's very, been in their lives. Yeah. You know, it, it's not only if Vic hadn't been in their lives, but if Shane just didn't go down the rabbit hole that he went down, Shane could have got out. As Shane takes more and more risks, all of this life that he has lived, but now it's catching up to Mara and enveloping her as well, and it breaks her. She becomes a killer. She becomes vulnerable, damaged, and we see Mara as infant, a really weak character. You know, I mean that with the greatest respect to Michelle Hicks. But there's there's an interesting, so you've got that interesting concept. Contrast with Mara and Shane are completely honest with one another, whereas Vic lies to Corinne. Yeah, constantly. Is the one thing he's got that Shane doesn't is his family. You know, you always thought you were twice family man I was, right? A great dad, a loving, misunderstood husband, right? Your family loves you so much, Vic, why'd they turn on you, huh? Corinne's working with the cops, buddy. She answered one of our calls and handed the phone over to Claudette, who tried to get us to come in with you as the big catch. You know that? The mother of your children has been playing you. She would rather see you go to prison than to hug one of your own kids again. Whatever happens to me and Mara, at least we'll be together for it. Who you got, Vic? Tell me who you got. You and Queen Bitch are serving your mandatory life sentences apart. I'm gonna check in on Jackson and this other kid once a year on their birthdays. I'm gonna tell them some good old stories about Ma and Pa. Must their hair. Take them out for an ice cream. And you don't even get to look at my kids! Ever! You understand that? Well, I'll send you a postcard from Space Mountain. Six lost his family at this point. Yeah. There's probably not much turning back he can do there. It's for Mara. mentalization again, isn't it? He, he yeah. doesn't acknowledge this. He won't acknowledge it. There's always been about for a while. He thinks he can just go and speak to them and sort it out. Whereas the tragedy is Mara stood by, you know, whatever you think of Mara, Thick always thought she was a gold digger. And so did we. Yeah. But she stuck by him through thicker thin. And in some ways, she probably shouldn't have. 
she should have took her kid and ran, but she sticks by him. So Shane could have always had that family element if he had just got out. But it's this thing where he has to prove himself against Fick time and time again. In his own head, he has to prove that he's either smarter or as smart as Fick. And in the end, whether either of them are actually that smart. <laughs> I wasn't clear initially that Shane um, slipped something in the drinks. I thought it was the way it was uh, visually arranged to look like a group suicide. Yeah. And they drank the Kool-Aid of the cult of Shane. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, but there is a line that Shane says, I think in a suicide it's note. Suicide note, yeah. They were happy, they were playing together. He just he just put something in their drink, so they didn't know, they just went to sleep. Uh, Shane has bought Jackson a little police car. Yeah, what he holds. What he sold him. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, uh, it, it's very sad, but I think the yeah. whole staging and the way he stages them, they look at peace. They look almost happy, oh. and that's because that's how he sees that he wants to see his family, as opposed to the way he goes out. He doesn't take a pill, you know. Claudette and Dutch enlist Corinne to take down Vic. Mackie successfully busts a cartel for ice, but betrays Ronnie Gardocki, who is arrested for the strike team's crimes. Mackie is left to run a desk, lest he go against his terms and be arrested as well. Yeah, basically, um, he'll just be writing reports on patterns he sees in crime and what have you. The look on his face when he sees his desk. Yeah. You know, that, to him, that's hell. This is maybe covering the last episode over these two points. And it's just scene after scene of, of heart-wrenching stuff. I'm thinking about Corinne in the park, waiting with that bag, panicking. There's some really nice scenes between Claudette, Dutch and Corinne. I mean, the one that really got me, I think you got you as well, was the betrayal of Ronnie. Again, Thick rationalises it was either Ronnie or his family, and he picked his family. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, not that I feel sorry for Ronnie, because quite frankly, he went with Thick all the way, and Shane did tell him at some point, when are you going to stop being his lapdog? I mean, Claudette seems a little biteful, but we can forgive her. Claudette pulls Thick in makes him sit in the uh, criminal side of the interrogation room. In, in the, you know, the reading out of Shane's suicide letter. They were innocent and they're in heaven now and we'll always be a family. The guilty ones are me and Vic. Vic led, but I kept following. I don't think one's worse than the other, but we made each other into something worse than our individual selves. I wish I'd never met him. I see it all now. There's no apologies I can make, no explanations I can give. I was who I was, and I can't be that person anymore. I can't let myself. We think this is where he was when we came in, because it stops there. Showing him the photos, you know, timing the arrest of, of Ronnie so that he could see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ronnie's reaction, you know, the betrayal, the look in his eyes. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the great lines. Ronald Everett Gardaki, you're under arrest. For what? The last three years. The Armenian money train robbery, covering up Terry Crowley's murder. Mackie gave the feds everything. 
already got himself full immunity. Not you, though. What? You told them all of it? Ronnie, you made a deal for yourself and you're sending me to prison? I'm sorry, my family, I, I thought Corinne... You goddamn sorry! Process him. Take him in. I didn't think I had a choice. Well, what about my goddamn choice, Becky? Okay, all right. Where's my goddamn choice? Process. I was going to run! We were going to run together! God damn! What about the team? What about protecting the goddamn team? You can go now. It, it was a, a, a terrible scene, a great scene. Yeah, his whole world is being taken away from here. His, his family, his friends, the respect of his colleagues. This last season, there's been a lot of returning actors. We've had uh, the character, the, the bottom bitch character, who was a friend of Vic C.I. We had Tavon has, has popped back to yeah, that's throw right. some guilt on Shane. I forget the character's name. He's like, um, I've got in my notes Vic's future ghost. So he's one of these ex-coppers who's started his own agency, but he's morally quite dubious. Was that Carl Wellers, was it? Might have been, yeah. Yeah, name rings a bell. Apollo and Rocky and, yeah. Um, yeah. We also have Kavanaugh, who pops back for a beautiful minute. Uh, yeah. And I love that. I love that scene, given uh, Corinne and Summer their new um, home. Home, showing them what there is and what's around. And yeah, you know, he's got this smile on his face because he knows at that moment he won. He's took Vic's family away from him, so. The poetry of, um, I mean, Vic's downfall, I mean, everything really is taken away from him. We could have a, a reasonable bit of doubt cast in an argument about whether justice is served for Vic. It's not really, but in poetic terms... In a uh, way it is. Um, quite, quite a treat. One of the scenes I, I sort of like is he goes to his desk and he gets like the, the small pictures of his kids. Then he just sits back. The lights go off in the building. He hears sirens. He looks out the windows. He sees the cop cars racing down the street. It basically ends with him getting his gun, putting it in his back pocket, putting his jacket on, I'm walking out, and that's it. We don't know what happens to him, yeah. what he does after that. It, it would actually be a great thing to do a TV special on. Yeah, there, there was actually talk of doing a, um, a sort of a Where's Vic Mackey? You know, Olivia oh, says no. that his sentence, he has to work for them for three years, yeah. or he goes to prison. I'm thinking he won't be able to keep his nose clean for three years at that desk job. He'll get, he'll get into shit somehow. Yeah, well, if, uh, I mean, if we were supposed to read from him taking that gun head out in the streets to get involved with something. Yeah, um, that's it's not clear. It, if it's, it's that kinda, quick, yeah, he's not going to last. They leave it, they kind of leave it open to our imaginations. What really happens, you know, the ending is very subdued, very quiet. You know, Vic just sitting back in that desk chair, looking rejected as if it's almost worse than a prison sentence. I think I read that they got clothes that were too big for Michael Chiklis to make him look smaller. Yeah, um, yeah, and they also, it, the suit didn't look like it fitted him, and I think that's a metaphor for he does not wear suits. That's Agent Murray's vindictiveness. Yeah, uh, very much so, and she's enjoying every moment of it because she thinks he get, he's got off way too light. And yeah. in some ways he has. 
It's very clear anyway in intention that Agent Murray and her supervisor are going to make Vic pay. They're going to make sure those are three long years and they squeeze yeah. every last bit out of them. So, you know, no one really gets a happy ending in the show. Not really. You could argue Dutch is the one that comes out probably most intact because uh, as far as we know, Claudette is going to back him to the hills and he's not going to go down for this murder. But unfortunately, the last scene with them, we realize there's some bad news. Claudette isn't on any new medication. Her conditioning's getting worse and she's going to die. Yeah. Now, it's, 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 we don't know how, how many years she's got or what. She just says she'll be there doing the job every day until she's not. That's you know? a very uh, Claudette sort of way to, to go. Take it. A, a solemnity and a stoicism. And, and I love that. Uh, she sort of comes out one last time onto the balcony looking over the farm. Yeah, you really feel for her, though, when uh, she has lost Vic Dice because, um, I mean, that's, that's quite she She sort of explodes at Dutch. She fires Dutch. Yeah. Uh, and Dutch says, yeah, didn't stick, you know, because she, she didn't really mean it. Yeah. You have to remember, for her story arc, she started suspecting Vic quite early of certain things. I, I don't know. I think she, um, well, maybe the Glenn Close era, but well, I think um, I think in season two, she... there's a couple of things happen where she started to have her doubts about him. But at that point, it wasn't enough. Oh you yeah, know, it was it was just a couple of little things. Well, it was so, a, it was a Julian arc really because initially she tells Julian just to back off, and yeah, and she tells Aceveda to back off. We don't go around suspecting yeah. other cops. But I then think Julian she... comes to her for a quiet word and advice, and I think that maybe. Uh, cajoles her that opens her up a little bit I think so but you know also she's a very prideful woman Yes, there's nothing she could do about the deal you know it's not her fault but I think in her mind yeah that got away with all this on her watch you know that's the sort of woman she is I'm on the clock so make it quick we need you to put Corinne Mackey and her kids in federal witness protection and why would I do that because she's been helping us make a case against Vic then you set her up somewhere on your nickel. Vic's local reach is too dangerous. And we can't control him since you've given him immunity for every depraved act he ever committed. Exactly. So why would I do him this one last favor? Because it's a favor for me, not him. Because Karina and her kids need protection in case he finds out that she helped us. And he's your monster now. And you want to hurt him and this is a way to do that. I think we can't leave it without talking about the 42 seconds of the last three years. Uh, Vic's confession yeah. scene. Yeah. Uh, were you impressed with that? Yeah, I, I, I was very impressed with it. I, I guess I didn't see that coming, that Vic would actually make a deal and we'd see him actually confessing to all these things. You know, some things, by the way, that I had forgot he'd done. Because over the years, he's done so much. Because it's the, it's the big things you remember, like Terry, the money yeah. train. Uh, but there's been a lot of other stuff he's done. And yeah, just to he... hear him... Didn't he, tell Shane, didn't he tell Shane that he used his dossier to help him remember, yeah, remember. a few other things? Things I, because it was a bit light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, great actor, great scene. Yeah. I don't remember a lot entirely about that scene, but I thought the bits that I do remember were very well staged. The idea of, yeah. of him having this extra long time before he says anything, rather than just give us the plot lines of the last seven seasons you know to to make more of a show of, yeah. of that moment 
I, um, actually, yeah, I read a review after I watched this, and that's the bit of the show. People think, yeah, you know, they make he's done so much bad shit, and they make a deal to get one bad guy off the, off the streets. The review says, was that a smart move? Is that worth it? Beltran is, we wanted to believe, a big cartel player. I have some issues with Beltran, with Pezuela, and a few of the other names that are thrown about in seasons six and seven. I mean, Beltran himself is fine. The guy playing him as a, as a strong physical presence. Oh, definitely. He, yeah. He's threatening, but still not Antoine level. Uh, no, he's, he's not. And, you know, he doesn't quite have that sort of scurriness to him. Um, Anton gets under your skin more, I think. I suppose the the whole thing with the story is to find a way for Thick to pay that's more plurotic than anything else because just seeing him sitting at a desk in a suit, to me that would be Thick Mackey's hell. He strikes me as a guy who never really um, was that fond of paperwork. Yeah. You know, and he probably could have made a bit more um, smarter moves in season seven had he actually bothered to read his way through the blackmail box to see what exactly what Yeah, you know, that's it. They sort of just picked through it a wee bit and got a couple yeah. of names out of it. He doesn't strike um, me as much of a reader. No, um, I mean, I suppose you could say at that point he, he was under so much stress over those three years or whatever. And at that point, he was starting to miss a few beats, you know, I, I guess. And the other thing is he didn't have access to the box the whole time. Asafeta took it because Asafeta was worried he'd use it at the wrong time or against the wrong person. Now, Mayor Asafeta, probably? It, well, as Claudette said, he's got a very good chance. He was there when Thick busted the drug dealers, so he was there for the cameras and, of course, he put the spin on it. He was involved the whole time, working with the police. And that's, and that's not forget one of his other rivals for Mayor was shot down and killed, I believe. Robert or Lawrence Huggins. Yeah, the paradigm for... party. Yeah, the, it's a new paradigm, people. And this is the same actor that uh, played uh, the guy who ran the comic book store. Yeah, shutting crack get off the block. I love that character. Yeah. Um, and they're both they're very. I don't know if they're supposed to be the same character. They're both very similar, sort of reactionary, sort of challenge yeah. and change. Very uh, theatrical with the way they talk. I mean, Alcibiada for all his his whiz. Is very much an old school traditional politician. That's his way. He's that's the sort of circuit that he he moves in. That like Carcetti, you know, it's the politics game has certain rules to it. He knows the system certainly. Um, and when someone like Huggins comes along and says, "Well, no, that's all BS. That you don't have to look at these two choices. You can look at other choices." Mm-hmm. That's a bit his policy to help the street just to put more cops on the streets. And this guy's saying, actually, that's going to cause a bigger problem. And you get the feeling he was getting the support of certainly that group of people that Asafeta was talking to. But then he gets shot. It's strange because his last words were to Tina in the ambulance saying, have I got your vote? And Tina shows him the badge saying, yeah, you've got my vote. Yeah. And then it, he just dies. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, you know, I think it was nice to have a story for Tina there. They let everyone sort of have this, their closing moments, you know. I think that about wraps us up. Wow, well, that's... yeah, I'm, I'm putting down my uh, my badge and my gun and wrapping it up here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You could talk. Could go on. Uh, I yeah, I sort of apologize a wee bit because season six and seven are 
quite complicated in story threads. Yeah. Um, that I kind of thought I was all over the place there a wee bit, but it's been a hell of a journey. Yeah, and you know what? It really does stand up to rewatching if you've been excited listening to us talking about it and think I must go back and and watch those. Absolutely do. Yeah, just say at the minute it it is on Prime, the whole series. I don't know how long for, but and then again, the DVDs aren't exactly that there, so I would recommend people check it out. It's it's one of the best pieces of television I've probably ever seen. Yeah, I'm I'm a, a big television buff, so yeah uh certainly massively underrated massively and i mean this this came out in the era of this came out right after the sopranos it ran concurrently with the wire but because you know a few years later we got breaking bad and a lot of other prime time television that was like of serious big balls i think the shield has been buried to some degree mm. it's certainly not as good as the wire but it's not trying to do the wire no um it, it's very much its own thing um obviously uh things like breaking bad were on bigger stations weren't they i mean yeah yeah the shield was fx and maybe that and was fx's first drama really i mean right. at that point they didn't even have always sunny in philadelphia which is right the best show on television but um, that's beside the point um, actually, you know, if you you would like to see some more Shield, um, go to YouTube and check out Skip Intro, Copaganda. He has a two-part documentary on the Shield, which has an awful lot of book smarts to it. Some really critical thinking. I really enjoyed reading that. And Skip's on Skip Intro is on Patreon as well, and he's doing some good stuff on there. Um, well, I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out because there isn't television. too much about the Shield on there. There's there's not. There's a, there's a few clips. Um, I noticed the DVD features have been popping up there a lot more recently. Right. And actually, the DVD, if you can get it on DVD, the, um, oh, the commentaries, commentaries <laughs> are a master class. In, who, does, who does the commentaries? Do um, well, I think it's Sean Ryan and Michael Chiklis pop oh, up right, regularly. Okay. It's mostly the actors and the, um, the writers and producers. Right, right. I know Lem. It's done a few and what Goggins and CCH Pounder. I think the whole cast. I learned a lot about writing as part of a group from those commentaries. You know, you listen to so many commentaries and it's just like it's like a bunch of frat school kids sharing in jokes. Mm. But in the shield, the camaraderie of the actors and production staff comes over, but they're really talking a lot about how things were made. And answering a lot of questions that are on the tip of your tongue. Um, I really recommend those. And, and there's other extra features and deleted scenes. Excellent. I'll have to check it out because I've never seen the special features of The Shield. I've watched most of it on uh, Prime. So, but excellent. Yep. It's been a lot of fun to, uh, talking about The Shield because I, I, I don't, I honestly don't know too many people that have watched it. When you started talking about it, I got excited because I thought, so there's someone else other than me's watched this show because obviously I, I got told about it by a friend in work but n- no one else had heard of it i mean i was telling our friends when we done part one we were doing the shield and they said i love the agents of shield and i was like no no no, not that uh, shield not that shield go sit in the corner go and sit in the corner go sit in the corner uh, you know uh, like the, the plug before we go yeah i'd love to plug the uss caroline facebook page uh, we're a Star Trek fan community in Northern Ireland, Belfast, who just get together on Facebook and Zoom. 
watch parties and just chat. It'd be great if you could check us out, get, uh, join our page and we'll have a bit of crack with us. That'd be amazing. And that's that's open to anybody, really, isn't it? That's, um, open, that's open to anybody, they can, absolutely. They can join up as members. If, we uh, even, let, we even let Andy join, so yep, yeah, anybody. Yep. Uh, USS Caroline on Facebook. Um, reach out to me or Ian um, if you get lost. We're both on there. So as always, I, I do this as a, a gateway drug for my Patreon. Thanks to Ian and many like him who, who are patrons. Um, that's at patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke and their subscriber poems, comics, this podcast and stuff. And you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Luke. Next month, we're going to be exploring Marvel Comics 25th anniversary line of titles, the New Universe series Ooh. by Jim Shooter, Archie Goodwin and a lot more talent than is often associated with this rebuked and disposable work. And we've got some contributions by fans and those who were involved in the creative process at the time. So look out for that. And I'll see you next month. Thank you from the Dreamwick podcast. Goodbye, Ian. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Andy. The Dreamwick podcast sponsored by Red Bull.